Before we share what we feel like the Lord is speaking to our church for this year, do you want to just talk about the importance of vision? Mm. Yeah, I do. Okay. Well, I've been reflecting a little bit on vision and it's a funny thing because I think naturally we're quite visionary people and so we, we have a vision for this church, we have a vision for our family, we have a vision for our kids and I've been thinking about the visions that I have for my kids you know, firstly, my greatest vision for them is that they would know the Lord, that each mm. of them would know the Lord. But I have like all these like sub-visions, <laughs> which you might have as parents. Like that they might not fight. Yeah, things like that, you know, like we Today. imagine. Because having vision is to like dream, you know, like. And so one of them is that they would be healthy, that they would choose healthy food, that they would want to go outdoors, you know, and, and socialise with people and not just be on their screens, that they would have, you know, healthy thinking and sleeping rhythms and things like that. Um, but I've realised that it's no good if it's just my vision, my dream for them, because unless it kind of works in like a super highly controlled environment, but if I'm out... <laughs> Or if they're away, what do we think is going to happen if it's mm. not their vision? They're going to mm. stay up till two in the morning. They're going to sleep in. They're going to eat junk. They're going to scroll through the phones, you know, and, and with unchecked thinking. And it's just been amazing uh, last year, so shocked, taken by surprise, when one of my sons said, Mum, I'm going to be healthy now. And I was like, okay, you know, I held that lightly. I thought this might last a couple of weeks. Um... But then it was just amazing that he so had this vision that he was going to be healthy that it was just like change after change after change, exercising, wanting to go outside, choosing healthy food. And then this year, lo and behold, he said to me, and now I'm going to, I'm going to start studying. I'm going to start trying in school. Oh and I was like, goodness. oh my gosh, this is incredible. And I mean, this is the guy that, that when he was six... Um, I check, check with them every day. Have you done your homework? We don't have homework. I don't get homework. Get near to the end of the year and his teacher says to me, um, he never does his homework sheets. And I, and I said to him, hey, you keep telling me you don't have homework. And he said, well, mum, it's called home fun. And you never asked if I had home fun. And sure enough, on the top of his homework sheet was home fun. And so, I mean, and I mean, this is the guy that was always... Like, in the pantry, stealing treats, stealing treats out of any other pantry available to him. When I'd go to pick him up from school, I knew if he wasn't there, he would be in three different houses, depending on what he felt like. Because yeah. he knew in one house he could have yoghurt, the other one was rice crackers, the other one was biscuits. And so I had to try and... Anyway, so, so this is this guy, and it's just been amazing to walk in and see him eating like a salad, studying algebra on his own, and doing exercise, and it's like, what has happened? And if you had told me a year ago that I would walk in and see that, I would have said, in my dreams. But it became reality because it was in his. It became his dream. Mm. And it's just incredible, the power and the force that it is when someone grabs hold of vision. And um, what's even more incredible than that is when a whole people grab mm -hmm. hold of a united vision. And I was reading the story in Babel and the people, they united under one vision. It wasn't a good one. Their vision was to build this tower so high to make themselves famous. Mm -hmm. And we know that God didn't even like that vision, but he <laughs> said, this is what he said. 
um, from God who wasn't with it. He didn't bless it. He said, look, the people are united. They all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Mm-hmm. And gosh, if that is, if nothing would be impossible for them with a vision that God didn't bless and didn't speak out and didn't love, imagine what's possible for us if we unite under a vision that God spoke, that He blesses, that He loves. When we think about God speaking in our modern day, we often hear it really individual. Like I have a prophetic word for you and for Mm -hmm. you and for you. And when it's for me personally, you get out the notebook, you write it down, you remember it. But do we have that same desire to grab hold of it when it's a word for the church, when Mm -hmm. it's a word for a people? When someone shares a word for the church, do we go, that's me? And I believe that's what God is calling us and leading us to. Our vision is to be a people pursuing the way of Jesus and playing our part in his story. It begins with to be a people, to be a people. Yeah, it's beautiful. I think like when we come to these moments on Vision Sunday, what we're not trying to do is go like, oh, here's what we think's best and would everybody do what we say? We're not saying this is like Joel and Katie's way or the highway. What we're trying to do is take our role and our mantle as the pastors of this church and go, God, what are you speaking to your church? God, what is the Spirit saying? What, in which direction is the Spirit moving? In what ways is the wind blowing? And to give articulation to that so people might be able to grab a hold of it and run together. It's sort of like in the, in, in the Old Testament, it says, you know, get the vision, write it down, make it plain so that people might grab a hold of it and run with it. And that's very different context to what we're talking about today, but the principle is still the same that we must give articulation to, God, what are you doing? What do you want from us? What are you leading us into? And so that's sort of our hope today that as we even just speak about what this is, that it's not like, oh, I need some time to digest that, but maybe just to acknowledge what's happening in in the spirit inside of you and to go, oh, that's why you've been speaking to me about those things, God. That's why you've been prompting me because this is something you're doing. And I'm confident that as we speak about it, you will have that sense that's like, oh, yes, this is what God is doing among us and what God wants to do among us. And it's not a new vision. We already have our big vision of who we're becoming, as Katie said, to be a people pursuing the way of Jesus and playing our part in his story. And, but this is like, God, what do you need us to put some attention on this year or in the coming season that we might step further towards that, that we might become a little bit more of that? So it's not a new vision as much as it is a word to keep taking us towards our vision, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Okay, great. So this year, the big idea is community. The big idea is community, and not just community, but community for everyone. We believe that God is speaking to His church. He's speaking to us. We won't be the only church, but we are listening and we're going, oh God, we recognise that church for many of us and many of our imagination and our modern world may have become anything but a community. But God, we recognise you want it to be a community, not just a community for some, not just a community for those people, not just a community for that age group or a community for people with that background or that story, but you want it to be a community for everyone. 
a true place where people can be known, where people's stories can be recognized, where people can be loved, and where people can give love. A place where we can be known and know others. And God wants that for everyone. So this year, our, our vision, if you would, our word for the year is let's be a community for everyone. And the, 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 the te ao Māori idea of whaka whanaunatanga, I think, speaks to the type of work that we are being called to by the Holy Spirit this year to make that a reality. If we want it to be a community for everyone, it's not our job. It's not just the staff's job. It's not just the small group leader's job. It's all of us to take on the mantle and go, let's whakawhanaunatanga. Let's engage in the process or in the things and in the practices that build a sense of whanaunatanga, this family, this interwovenness, this togetherness, so that all of my, us might be knitted into the fabric of the oneness of God's church. Not because we attend, but because we belong. Because we are known and we know. Because we break bread because we share our highs and our lows, because we get past the, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good or not bad, which is like a worse version of good. When we experience care and hospitality, when we feel seen and recognized, when, when we're, our heart breaks, we know somebody else's heart breaks with us. When the best of life happens, we share it without, you know, thinking we're going to be judged or tall poppied, but that people are going to be in joy with us. When we are there for each other, when moving day isn't something we do alone, where there is genuine care and love and knowingness. And our hope is that this year we would take great strides as a people for it truly being more of a community for everyone. And we ask that you'd come on that journey with us, that um, you'd help us together build or foster or curate, if you will, um, a church that is truly community, that is not crowd, that is not event, that is not meeting, but is people who love the Lord together and their lives interweave together in a very genuine and real way. And, and we hope in our senses as we've been sharing it, that people are like, oh, I want that. Oh, that's right. Now, the tough part is, is all of the things we have to do to foster it and the people we have to become and the practices that we have to keep. But we've got a year to explore those and to open up our spirits to the Lord's leading and, yeah. and to, we sung this morning here in the Mount, I don't know why we sung in Auckland, but you know, to re-surrender and say, Lord, truly have your way. Yeah. Have your way with my whole life. Yeah. yeah, yeah. it's more than the church we want. It's the church that people need. Mm. And that is what we really feel God shaping in us, that we are to create a church that meets the need of the mm. people he puts lonely in families. Mm. And so we have to become that. Yeah. I believe as we explore community for everyone, and we'll share more about it, but two big things are gonna happen. Three, perhaps, three. One is we will truly be people of love. 
because we will be practicing it in a real and tangible way. And uh, Jesus said, by your love for one another, all people shall know you're my disciples. So we live that out first and foremost with each other. The second thing that I think will happen is more lost people will be reached for Jesus because the Lord is not looking to add those who are being saved to events and to crowds and to services. He's looking to add them to the fellowship of those who have been saved. And the third thing that will happen is a deeper discipleship will take place because discipleship is a relational thing. It's a life-on-life thing. And so as we do more life-on-life, more of our growth in Christ will take place naturally in that place. And so I'm excited for all of that. I think, I think we should stand to our feet. Uh, in Auckland and here, let's stand to our feet. And Katie, would you pray for us? Would you pray for the year? Yeah, love to. Awesome, let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, Father, we thank you for the wonder that it is that Christ is in you, that we are in Christ, and that your Spirit is in us, and that it is the same Spirit that is in each and every one of us that unites us. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the blessing that it is that we get to hear and receive your Word, that we get to participate by responding to your Word, and then you participate with us. Lord, we thank you for the vision of being a family, of community for everyone. I thank you, Lord, that that runs deep, that runs deep to who you are. That's what you did when you walked this earth, Jesus. You invited, you said the kingdom is here. It's here for everyone. Lord, mold us. Lord, shape us. Lord, prune us. Lord, refine us. Lord, anoint us. Pour your spirit on us, God. Help us to give up the things that we hold dear, Lord, and help us to pick up your cross and follow you. Help us to open our homes. Help us to lose perfectionism. Help us to lose all of the things, Lord God, that would keep us from having just open homes. Help us to want to relate to others that are different to us. Help us not to just have couples with couples. Help us to... Bring people into our home that are alone, Lord God, or that have such a big family that no one wants them over, Lord. Help us to to open our homes and to just finally get it, God. Mm. To finally get what what the main thing is, Lord. It's love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength and love others as yourselves. Mm. Help us to be that Lord God. And here and in Auckland, bless our small group leaders now in the name of Jesus as they open their homes. Bless them, God. Bless them, Lord. Bless every ministry, our youth, our kids. Bless them, Lord. We commit this year, we commit this vision to you. We thank you, Jesus, that you're Lord of this church. We follow you. We'll play our part. We love you. Amen. 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 Okay, I'm going, I think. Okay, give somebody a high five (laughs) or a hug and then I'm gonna speak Mm. for a few minutes. Thank you for that prayer. Amen. 
So it's good to be here, it's good to be together. I wanna just speak about this word a little bit more. I've taken the kōrōai off just so I can feel a little bit freer and move and not flap around uh, so much, you know. Uh, we're gonna be in Acts 2, verse 42 in just a moment. Uh, the thoughts today, what I'm speaking about, will be summed up under this idea, I long to belong. I long to belong. In 1436, Johannes Gutenberg invented the printing press. It would be a pivotal moment in history that would begin a change in the fundamental way that we see ourselves and that we relate to each other, that would, we're a part of that movement that's almost been going for 600 years now. The printing press gave rise to something to take place that had never taken place before, and that is of the individual learner. Somebody who could now get a book in their own home that was affordable and able to learn, to process information on their own. Before that, learning, like everything in life, was communal. You needed to be with people. Church was communal. You couldn't get a Bible. They were so expensive. So there was one at the church and you went there to hear it read. And even though there's so much good things that have happened from the printing press, I mean, I'm, I'm a reader. I love that we've invented the printing press. But we must recognize it started a change in the fabric of how we see ourselves as human beings. And for the first time ever, faith was able to become something not just personal, but also private. And we must recognize that while faith is supposed to be personal, it's never supposed to be private. It's always supposed to be communal. And this shift takes place, hundreds of years go by, and then we get the television, and then we get the internet, We've got the personal computer, then we've got the laptop, then we get the smartphone, and everything in life is moving in one direction, and it's away from communal, it's away from us, and it's in the direction of me. It's in the direction of the individual, and it's, it's so hard because we live in this world for 600 years in an ever-increasing way that is becoming more and more individualistic, and we have to put up our hand and recognize that we are not immune to that as the people of God, that I am not immune to that. I, I too, have been raised in this world and are informed by it and are shaped by it, and it's the lens if I'm not being constantly renewed by Jesus, that I'm gonna see everything through life through, including faith. So I don't read the Bible like the early Christians read the Bible. I read it like an individualist reads the Bible. Which is a huge change. And while faith is supposed to be personal, it's not supposed to be private. It's supposed to be communal. It gives rise to this sentiment, I'll take Jesus, but not the church. Only somebody in the last 600 years would have ever said that. I'll take Jesus, but not the church. Then you throw a bit of COVID in there, throw us all into our homes, have us all shrink into our more insular, more self-focused worlds. And we got this thing called church at home, which is, you know, as much as I appreciate people watching today, church at home is not church at all. 
It's watching other people do church at home, which is quite different to doing church. And we must recognise that. We've been having all these debates as a team. Should we just get rid of it? Because it's not actually church. It's a lie. People gathering together as church, as being church. And really, COVID just threw further fuel on the fire of this direction that we've been heading in for a very, very long time, this me-centered world. Even I just think of like when I grew up, we had one TV in the home and even watching TV was a communal experience. It's different from our house. There's multiple TVs and there's lots of iPads. And sometimes it could be like, Katie and I are like, wait, wait, we're enjoying watching our thing, but then every kid's in their own like space. It's like even entertainments become individualized. We have our preferences, our recommendations, our usness. And yeah, even though the world becomes more individualized and all the traditional institutions of belonging like family get eroded and nationhood get eroded and local community get eroded and church gets eroded. The question inside all of our souls, inside all of our hearts, just aches all the more. Where do I belong? Where do I fit? Where are my people? Where is my home? And we go to great lengths in exploration to try to figure that out. Teenagers go to great lengths, maybe you remember being a teenager, embracing the fashions, trying to stand out by being the same as everyone else. Um, you know, to try and fit, to try and get a sense that you're, you're recognized and you're needed and you're known and you're seen and you have value. Despite our individualizing, we long to belong. I mean, all the clubs exist because we don't just want to do things. Not that like dancing clubs, but like, you know, the golf club. <laughs> Clearly, that's how long it's been since I've been to one. <laughs> the fishing club, the book club, the golf club exist because we don't just want to do things. We want to belong. The biggest challenges facing any employers here, right, is creating a workspace where people feel like they belong. It wasn't a challenge when people had belonging elsewhere, but because people don't have it, they're hungry for it everywhere. Ancestry.com, huge. Get your DNA test, figure out where you come from, who your people are. It's all an expression of trying to figure out where you belong. Do, 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 do. Auckland, somebody's phone's ringing, that's why I'm doing that. Um, we have to admit that the tide has not yet turned in the church. That the reality is, is by and large, the church as a whole, particularly we could say in the West, is still becoming more individualistic. It hasn't turned around yet. It's not getting ground back. And I'm here to say, let's get some ground back. I'm here to call us to do it differently, to not treat it as a product, to not treat it as an event, to not treat it as an, a, a meeting, but to treat it as a people with whom I am committed to doing life with. Not, oh, I wanna go where this suits me and that suits me and the time suits me and 
where nobody ever offends me, I'm definitely gonna offend you. And if I don't, Hayden will or Katie will or somebody else will. But what does it mean to do life together in such a way where we go through the journey together, where we turn the tide on this thing because we long to belong. And God has ordained a place that it doesn't matter what your family story is, that it doesn't matter what your heritage is, It doesn't matter what your life's been like. The church is supposed to be a place where everyone can belong. But it's not gonna be that if the people who are already Christians don't treat it like a community, but instead treat it like something else. We need to build the church, as Katie said, not the church that we want necessarily, which is one at all of our own convenience, with all of the goods, without any of the responsibility. That's what we want. Somebody else do it, somebody else's fault, somebody else's problem. But the the church we need is the church we all take responsibility for. The church we all see ourselves as a member of the body, playing our part in the shared life together. So Acts 2 verse... 42, it says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the sharing in meals. Sounds good, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Sounds awesome. People love signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place. People don't like that. Uh, and shared everything they had. Definitely don't that, like that. It's like what's mine is mine, but what's yours can be mine. That sounds good if we could rewrite that. Uh, they sold their property and possessions. Whoa, 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 whoa. And shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. Hey, I'm busy. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. I don't have time for that. With such joy and generosity, they shared their meals. And all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. We're just gonna go through this verse bit by bit really quickly. Context, this is the birth of the church. This is day one of the church. This is the history of the church. This is our lineage. This is our whakapapa. This is where our story as God's people in after Jesus' ascension, this is where it begins. And, and the question comes, is this verse a description of what was or is it a prescription of what could be or is it a little bit of both? Is it telling us how it was or is it telling us how it should be or is it doing both? Or is it telling us a little bit of how it was and how they did it? And should we pull from that? Okay, how do we live that out in this day and age? And that's what I'm going to uh, propose to us today, that it's a bit of a prescription and a description. That it's absolutely a description, but within it, it tells us that they were devoted to some things. And this is what it looked like for them in their day and age and their Jewishness to live out those devotions. And I wanna propose that we should have exactly the same devotions, but we need to wrestle with what does it look like in our day and age to live out those devotions. And then it tells us about the sort of impact and the type of environment it was fostering. And so devotions, what does it mean to be devoted? It means to continue in something. It means to be steadfast. It means to give yourself over to something. 
When we say someone's devoted to their family, we get a picture of what devotion is, right? They sacrifice, they give, they're consistent. Time and time again, their family is sort of like the center of their world. They're devoted to it. What are we devoted to in our lives? Not, not what do we think we are devoted to, but if somebody was to observe our life for a week perhaps, what would their conclusions be of our devotions? If they could see our thoughts, if they could see our transactions, if they could see our calendar, if they could see our attitude, what would they conclude are our devotions? Devotions matter. And the nature of our shared devotions will determine the strength of our community. Community is two words put together. Common, unity. What we hold in common unity will determine the strength of our community. If we gather around style and preference and selfishness and convenience, the community will be weak and fragile and one day will be blown away with the wind. But if we're devoted to Jesus, to the orthodox teaching of the church over the centuries, if we're devoted to one another and loving each other as Christ loved us, if we're devoted to what God's devoted to in this world, that has a lasting element to it. It has something eternal even about it. And the early church we learn here was devoted to four things. The apostles' teaching could be summed up in the good news of Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, the life of faith in Christ, being God's people on this earth, living that out in love and faith and hope. This is the apostles' teaching, and they held on to it. They were devoted to fellowship, the Greek word koinonia, a shared life. Think of Lord of the Rings. I love Lord of the Rings, right? The fellowship of the ring, this coming together of elves and dwarves and men and hobbits. They should never belong together, but they had a common goal. They had a common unity. And within that, they shared a life on their journey to see that come to fruition. This is the picture of the church. I'm trying to work out if you're a hobbit <laughs> or an elf or even a human. I, Julia Canlis said this, Koinonia is at the heart of the Christian understanding of the triune God as a rich relationship, not between individuals, but between persons who indwell one another in a loving harmony of friendship and communion. Such koinonia, such fellowship is at the center of Christian theology, it's at the center of anthropology, and it's the, it's the center of spirituality. We cannot live out this Jesus life without wrestling with this idea of fellowship. I love what Richard Plass says in his book, The Relational Soul. He says, koinonia is the experience of intense relational connection. It is the presence of God and our presence interpenetrating in ways that prove fulfilling yet mysterious. He goes on and says, the invitation to this kind of connection is the heart of the Christian story. And then he goes on to say, but accepting God's invitation requires our death. 
There's no such thing as the individual Christian, Eugene Peterson says. He translated the message version, which I think is probably the favorite version for the individual Christian, ironically. <laughs> they were devoted to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, but just eating together and eating together in Jesus' name. I love that. Food, food, and more food. <laughs> Sounds like my kind of church. Hospitality, I read, is, this goal is not to change people, but it's to offer them a space where change is possible. And they devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to their connection with God. They devoted themselves to interceding. They devoted themselves to worship. They devoted themselves to these things. It's interesting that of the four key devotions of the early church, two of them are immensely relational. Yeah, there's the teaching and prayer, but in the middle there, there's the koinonia and the food. And so half of our devotion, or if half of the devotion of the early church was the shared life, I wonder if half of our devotion to Jesus has lived out that way. Jesus formed community everywhere he went. It was his priority. And so it's no surprise that the apostles do. We have to fight to be a community in this day and age. It's never gonna happen naturally. But if we're devoted to practicing the way of Jesus and playing our part in his story, it will lead us to these devotions. It will lead us to want to practice these things, to live out phenomenatanga, togetherness. So then they practiced it. What does it say they did? It says five things, that they, they took these devotions and they lived them out in the flesh. What did it look like as we go on in the verse? It says that they met together in one place. And so we're reminded worship matters. It says that they shared everything they had. And so we're reminded that our financial support, our tithes and offerings, it matters. It says that they shared with those in need among them. We're reminded that a sense of oneness and generosity matters. And they worship together each day. Man, that's hardcore and that they met in homes for communion and meals. So they took these four devotions and they practiced them intentionally in these five ways. And I have to admit, I read that and I go, whew, Jesus, this is a bit extreme. Can we just like recognize there's some barriers to living out these devotions? Because I love you guys, but I'm not sure I'm gonna sell my house. And you can laugh at me, but we're all having that thought. And we can recognize that these things go like, gosh, this is like, now of course, if the Lord told me, but like, I'm gonna really argue with him for a while, you know? There's barriers to putting this stuff into practice. I mean, some, some of us read this stuff and we get suspicious. What do you, you wanna share everything in common because you wanna get what's mine? Right, like we're suspicious of leadership, we're suspicious of oneness, we're suspicious of these things. I read this and I, I go, man, a barrier is like, I need to lay aside some of my other communities potentially to live out community properly in the church. And I like those people. And I don't, I don't know if I'm, I've maybe got too many communities going on, I don't have time to do any of them well. This sounds like a lot of responsibility and I just wish Joel and Katie would do it. 
And I just read this and I go, it sounds like heaps of time. And I feel like I'm already quite busy. And I, I go, and so with all of that, I have to go, but God, if we're devoted to these things, what would it look like to live it out today? And it wouldn't necessarily look exactly like the Jewish church in the midst of persecution, having to band together and support one another because they're absolutely ostracized by the time this is being written and recorded later. It doesn't necessarily look like that because it didn't look like that in all of the churches in the book of Acts, but the devotions look like something. And they found their own way to live them out in Rome and in Ephesus and in Antioch and in Egypt. They found their own way to live these things out. And so when I think about it for today's day and age, but I hope everybody would wrestle with it themselves, I came up with four conclusions about how we should live these things out. For whatever it's worth. Hopefully it's worth something. I'll put the kudawai back on. It might be worth a little bit more. One, the first one is, is we need food all of the time. We need food, food, and more food. We need to eat together. We need to bring plates together on Sunday like we did last week. We need to do that all the time. And we just need to eat together. We need to have people in our home. You need to not leave this place alone, but you need to take somebody to your home for lunch. You need to invite, you need to at least channel out a night, a day, a Sunday afternoon or something where you can just share food with Christian brothers and sisters. It's the organic community building. It's living out fellowship. So we need food all of the time. And a lot of people are, finally, this is a sermon for me. <laughs> He's preaching to me, straight to my heart, through my stomach. Second, we do need to worship on Sundays. The tradition quickly mixed in the modern world from worshiping together every day to meeting together on the first day of the week, the day that the Lord Jesus was raised from the dead. We need to meet together on Sundays and we need to prioritize that. In our transient world, in our go away every fourth weekend world and all of those things, we need to find a way within our modern life to go, this is a big rock for me. It's not optional, I wake up in the morning and go, what do I feel like? This is what I do. I meet together with the Lord's people on Sundays and we need to prioritise that. We need to have value for our big gatherings because the early church had value for our big gatherings, which are all about what? Worshipping the Lord. The third thing is, is we need to practise community in our homes. Intentional, we call those small groups. The point is not that people get together and study the Bible and pray with one another as much as those things are very good and very essential. I'm not trying to boo-boo them. I'm just, it's a pathway to practicing a shared life together. The point isn't that we would just do that and then would sign off from each other for the next you know, seven days as if it's like, that was a meeting, that's over, all right, back to my life. But that we would practice this intentionally by gathering with people in our homes or Homes are the best, but you know, if you can't manage that, then in a cafe or just something, just gathering together with people to go with Jesus followers together. Let's encourage one another. Let's share each other's burdens. Let's celebrate with one another. Let's hold each other. Let's do this together. Let's be in each other's lives. We need to practice that. And my hope is that this year, something changes in our church from rather than it being like, oh yeah, to be a part of curator is sort of to go to Sundays when I can and everything else is an optional extra. You know how you look at it, all right? 
to go like, oh no, to belong to Curate Church is to worship with them on Sundays and to meet together in homes. And everything else is an optional extra. This is, it needs to elevate, not as an optional program, but as the very way we live out following Christ together. And so I hope there'll be an elevation of that in all of our hearts and all of our weeks this year. I love what Matakino said last week here in the Mount. She said, as I practice community with a small group of women, I experience belonging and connection to the Fadi as a whole. And that's the truth. When we, we long to belong and when we find some people that helps our overall sense of belonging. And the fourth thing is this, that we need to share our lives. We need to share our lives in two ways. One, relationally, we need to let people in. We need to be vulnerable. We heard yesterday from, uh, by, uh, some of the leaders heard yesterday from uh, my pastoral supervisor, he said that Kiwis are welcoming but inhospitable. You know, we're happy to be friendly here, but don't you dare try to get into my life. We're friendly, but our lives are hard to penetrate. And so we need to open our lives up. We need to be known and we need to know other people. We need to be seen. We need to listen. We need our stories heard and acknowledged. This is a huge part of being known because relationships are how God works. We need to not just share our lives relationally, but we need to share our lives in generosity. Yes, we need to bring our tithes and offerings and you know, support the work of our local church, but we also need to listen to the Holy Spirit's prompting to share with one another beyond that in generosity, to listen to those promptings and to help one another. And as we do that, it fosters this phenonatanga as we express manakitanga to each other. And we can know that as we do these things, um, a few things will happen if this verse is anything to go by. The first is that a spiritually rich environment will be among us. Tells us as they, as they practice thing, awe fell over the people and, and signs and wonders and miracles happened among them. These things take place in a context of fellowship. So we know as we practice these things, a spiritually rich environment will be among us. That sounds awesome. The second thing it tells us in this verse is that they enjoyed the goodwill of the people, that there's a favour that will become upon the church when it truly becomes a living, breathing example of the community of Christ to the world and it stops trying to beat the door down of the world and tell the world what they should do when we haven't even got it together ourselves. There's something about when we just go, let's live this out truly among us that will gain favour and openness. The world is looking for somewhere and they look past the church because the church doesn't look like an oasis in a desert land. It just looks like a spiritual version of individualism at times. The third thing that will happen is people will be saved. And I know all of us have people in our lives that our heart breaks for, family and friends, that we want desperately to come to know Jesus. But it says here that the Lord added to their fellowship. So the Lord's always looking for the substance of something that he can add those that he's wooing into the kingdom, into. 
Let's build the substance that we can trust that the Lord will add. And the fourth thing is that we'll each become people of love. Henry Nouwen, the great Catholic priest, said this, there are three legs of living out a transformed life. The first is prayer, the second is the Bible, and the third is community. We crave healthy relationships, there's no doubt about it, but all of us are broken in our ability to do it well. But there is something incredibly healing and powerful about being brought into a community where it's truly loving. It actually heals our ability to live out love. We wanna love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We wanna love others as ourself, but for that to happen, we need to be healed, we need to be restored, and we need to be empowered by the Spirit to learn to relate deeply and healthily. And the Spirit does this work in community. And so we need the Spirit to come. To experience something communal, church, we're only ever gonna do that if we're willing to give up something individual. You can't have both. You can't have life completely on your terms and experience community. You have to give up something individual to grab a hold of something communal. And you'll never do that unless you either think it's right, which is not a good enough motivation for anyone anymore in a world of moral relativism, or if you think it's better. So I'll just settle on the better. It's harder, but it's better. And here's the good news is that we make these choices all of the time, so let's just make them for church. Every time someone gets married, they choose to give up something individual to grab a hold of something better that might be communal. Every time you have a child, you expand your family, you choose to give up some more of your individual, you know, ness, not who you are, but your, you know, life on your terms because you wanna love. You wanna experience something that you think is gonna be better and communal. People do it when they join a sports team. People do it when they enter a business partnership. We do it all the time. Let's do it in Jesus' name for each other. And for that, I just, I recognise that no amount of motivation or good preaching or whatever it is is gonna do that. We need the Spirit to come. We need the Spirit to come in each one of our lives and sort of blow away or cleanse or wash away the things that hold us back. And we need the courage that can come from the Spirit to begin practising something new. And so I pray the Spirit comes. 